Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we are going to talk about cropping full circle because we've gone one rotation around the sun since we've started this podcast. So it's been a year, 52 episodes. So we'll cover some topics that we've talked about throughout the year. In our spotlight, we're going to look at drone use by crop insurance adjusters. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about the history of the USDA. Cool beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events, and we'll wrap it all up with some You Applied What. So, with me today are Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilties out there. Bill Schomburg. Hey, guys. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. All right, so, one year in the books, 52 episodes. Happy anniversary, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, in lieu of a cake, I brought you booze. Ooh, Ooh. you better. Uh, but it's it's not... Uh, maybe it's good booze. I haven't tried this yet. I'm not a big seltzer guy, but we've got some Coors seltzer here. Uh, reason being, they're pulling a Michelob. Everyone apparently needs their their little mission in life. And for them, every pack is going to help restore 500 gallons of river water. So Molson Coors is going to do this by donating a dollar per case, which it was like 17 bucks. So that's probably... Why they're willing to give up a dollar on the case. Charge you extra. $17 for 12 cans of water. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Flavored it's water. A 12 12, pack it's a 12 seven. pack. It's a 12 pack. Yeah. No, it's, it ain't cheap. That, that's that standard seltzer pricing, though. Oh, it's is it? Hey, seltzer, yeah. I Max, think are you a big seltzer guy? I, I, not really. Bud Light seltzer, we, White Claw. I have enjoyed the occasional Bud Light seltzer. I was a big Bon and Viv guy there for a while, too, because they always ran it on sale at the Festival Foods by my house. <laughs> and it was like... Is like buy one twelve pack and you got two six packs free. It was pretty good. It started with White Claw and then it was Truly. I Truly think was yep. the next big one. Vizzy, that's a big Vizzy's one. Vizzy's right another one. Um, and then yeah, Bud Lake came out with theirs. Now Coors has theirs. Um, so they're donating this dollar to change the course, which is a river initiative, and they project that it within one year they'll restore one billion dollars or one billion gallons one billion of river gallons. water. So. It's a- yeah, interesting. So I, I got some for you guys to try, so let's crack them open. Uh, everybody's got, I think, a different flavor. Mine's mango. I got yeah. the uh, lemon-lime here. Black, black cherry for me. I thought you gave me a grapefruit, but this is mango. Oh, whoops. All right. Yeah, no. So I guess we're trying three of the four flavors. <laughs> uh, not actually terrible. I'm not a big seltzer guy, but this isn't pretty good. Isn't bad. It's spicy water. Spicy water. Spicy water. As yeah. mango flavor goes, it tastes like mango. Uh, lemon lime could use some work. <laughs> lemon lime is a dangerous one. That is either the best or the worst, basically, of the seltzers. Like, a couple companies have it really good, and that's their best one. Most of them, it's the worst. Because it's hard to do a lemon lime flavor and still have it be, you know, sugar-free and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Max. Usually, it's, like, kind of soury. Like you said, spicy water is right. a good it's like, yeah. It's like... I don't know. Like, have you ever washed your hand with like lemon scented soap? If you could imagine what that tastes <laughs> and then like, you're like, eating and then you like, eat the soap. Basically, yeah. well, I mean, like ninety. Were you naughty, Max? Like, yeah. I, it smells so good. You, I just have to have it in my you mouth. Eat the soap. If you get your you swear, if you get your mouth washed out with soap, it's with bar soap. It's not with liquid soap. Everybody knows that. How's the black cherry bill? Really good, really good. Although I've been told that the strawberry Bud Light seltzer is way underrated. Way underrated. Their, like, their strawberry really, reeded was yeah. good too. They had that. Was, 
Yeah. Let Bud Light, their lemon lime is really good. Is it good? Yeah. Bud Light. I don't know. It's just, it is a good, I can tell though, like it at least does have like flavor. I don't just taste uh, like when you drink tonic water. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's actually got something to it. So it's, I mean. It's got a little bit of it, of that aftertaste, which isn't, it's, it's not terrible. As that's far the as river water in it? Yeah, yes. That's how yes. they're saving it's it? It's the polluted river water? Straight out of the they box. Just, they just put it into they're, the. They're using us to clean it. So yes. our bodies are <laughs> processing the river water and then. Yeah. It says it on the side of the can. I think. Uh, okay. Right. Change, change the course. So <laughs> mountains <laughs> plus change the course equals droplet of water. Yeah. So. I'm disappointed in a lack of blue mountains on here. It's just a white, oh, big oh, white yeah, mountain. Right. I was, I was hoping the that. the Coors, it should be. The right. That'd be a standard thing. The, the, or, co- the color changing mountain is just an all time. You've got your color of the flavor. I've got I've got a burgundy reddish here, and maybe get, that should get mine's green, dark or or light. Yeah, mine's mine's kind of orange. That, I think that's the problem with the grapefruit. Is the grapefruit was like slightly pinkish orange, and the mango is like orange, so they look alike. You know, if they if they made the cans like change color based on the flavor and the coolness, it'd probably go up to like twenty two bucks yeah, a case, so like seventeen. <laughs> Can't can't be doing things like that. Ninety calories in a can. Looks like it's salt and sugar. <laughs> ingredients. Yes. And water. You know, if you get water, yeah. there is a local establishment, you guys, that has a uh seltzer claw machine. Really? Claw machine. Yeah, so they, they emptied out a bunch of seltzer cans is and it? filled them with great stuff. Oh, I thought maybe it was a white claw machine. Well, it is, but I wasn't. I was trying not to use the name brand, but yes, that's what it is. It's a white claw machine, yeah. and you pick up like you pick one up, and then you take it to the bar, and they give you. You can get whatever flavor you want. It doesn't matter which one you get out of the machine. Well, that's and kinda, it wins. That's awesome. It's it a, wins a lot. It's you, a it's a buck. So you get. A, I mean, you get a you, drink for a buck. What's the strategy there to pick it up by the? You know, like a go for stuffed no, animal. You got to find the loosest one with its head up top. I mean, there there is not a lot of friction, and they're not very heavy. It's it. I don't. Are s- the tabs up? No, you basically oh, you, gotta, you, you, you pick up the can, it like, the can. Yeah, okay. but it's not it's it's made so that people still get drink. Like there's not a lot of free one dollar bills and there are a lot of them buy a drink. Like I would I would say it's gotta be like ninety percent success rate. Nice. Like it's how do they refill that at the end? Every day they probably gotta put all those cans back in there, right? I mean you're not Oh, I mean how many people wanna oh, I would think that'd be the most popular machine at the uh at this establishment, listen. It, in this town <laughs> that we're speaking of, White Claw Bushlight is, is the, the king. If they yeah. had a Bushlight well, machine, yeah, yeah they would they be a bush light because machine, yeah. it's not a White Claw. Yeah. You can't make a Bushlight a Bush. It's Clay not a Bush Claw. It's a Bush Light. <laughs> I, I think they should have a corn plant with a bush of bunch of bush cans on it. Yeah, correct. You br- break it off like oh. you're breaking. Instead of cornhole with bean bags, you have to cornhole, cornhole a bush can. <laughs> <laughs> Those new bush light like pints, you know, that have been out like the corn cob pints. I'd yeah. be yeah, fill that with some weight and give her a toss. And then people would chuck them at each other. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. don't know. I don't know that throwing. That's <laughs> why why it'd be buzzkill. That's why I always thought about like darts. Like, is that really? Is are, that really? Are a we bo- using glass bottles? Because that seems no, like a mistake. no. I said cans. <laughs> cans. No, like I always thought darts. Like that's an interesting thing. That that's like a bar game. Like. Hey, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get slightly intoxicated. Then we're gonna throw most, sharp things. Most that's, are plastic tips, so that's why dart ball is at churches and not bars. True, right? So if you're always. drunk at church, I really, <laughs> I really always like playing with the uh, metal tip darts on the old school cork board. Like I think that's yeah. way more fun, way more dangerous, but way more fun. 
Yeah, pretty cool. Harder to bounce them too, so it's you all, seem like you're better at darts. It's also why they have been big tournaments at bars and not jarts tournaments. Since that would just end in can't even get in jarts death. anymore. Uh, probably not legally, but I'm sure you could find it Amazon some, it somewhere. No, remember we found jarts in Grandma's old house. Yeah, and you couldn't eBay the actual jarts. It like wouldn't let you, but the box of it went for pretty high. So like the box that says jarts on it, but the actual actual dart weapon is, yeah. was not eBayable. I still remember those as I'm, a kid, just launching them. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, no, that did, that was seemed like a pretty terrible plan. Like, here, let's take this really sharp object, throw it in the air, and hope it doesn't come down on somebody. There's, they do have lawn darts, but they're soft tip. They don't have the yeah, metal tip. Yeah, they get like the big, like a bell bottom thing. Yeah, now that so it's weighted. And you can buy, you can buy the jarts, uh, vintage reproduction metal sign if you want. Ooh. Ooh, fancy. So Matt, your your duty for today was to restore five hundred gallons, huh? Yep. Good job. Mission done. You did it. Uh, all right. You guys ready to Let's, rock yeah. and roll? Um, all right. So let's talk about cropping full circle. So like I said, it's been a year, so we've made that full rotation. Now it's time to think about your rotation. Uh, <clears throat> as 2020 wraps up, time to plan for 2021. So when you think about rotation, what, what's the next crop? What do you have this year? What are you going into? Are you going to have any carryover credits? Uh, you know, it's the same as this year's crop. So now what are we looking at varieties? If you're doing corn on corn, obviously you're going to want some trait packages. If you're doing corn on alfalfa or something like that, you got the carryover credits. So um, I think the first thing to think about is what what's next? What are we going to? What crop are we changing over to? So, do you guys have any discussions with your growers about just planting the next crop based on the price? I've had a couple of conversations this year. Like, we're not going to go corn beans back forth. We're just going to plant all corn next year because corn's a better price sure. than beans. We can make more money on corn. I, I just feel that's kind of short sighted. I I can't say I've had that conversation in the fall. But definitely in the spring. Well, yeah. You know, after okay, so you plant your your hundred acres of corn silage that you need, and you got your hundred acres of alfalfa, and there's two hundred acres left over for cash crop, and then that conversation comes in like, are we going to plant corn or beans? What what can we make money on? You know that kind of thing. But not usually in the fall. Very often. Yeah, usually it's a uh, oh well, you know what this we is, don't we don't need quite as much corn. I'll throw some beans in because right. the price is better. Or we we talk price. I think it's important to make sure you're not like losing money on yeah, a certain right. crop. Yeah, but so but I you're mean, not setting like, your. It's hard because you can start to outguess the markets too by what you plant, and then by the next fall when you go to harvest, corn and beans have flipped or right. something like that. So I, I think there's something about being consistent, but there's also something about making sure you know that you're leaning heavier towards a crop if it, if you know it's going to get you a better price. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of guys taking 12-month contracts on beans. You know, bean, the bean price right now is pretty good. I mean, we're getting there. I don't think there's guys, you know, buying or se- selling beans 12 months ahead of time where you could make that decision right now that, okay, beans are going to be worth more because they're worth more right now. So what you're saying is most guys maybe lean a little bit heavy like, oh, normally I plant 200 acres of beans, but this year I'm going to plant 250 because the beans are a little bit better. What Especially I'm... guys that go and 
you know, when you're doing corn on corn right. a lot, you know, then you can have that option of break up the rotation yeah, a little bit and go more beans, go half corn, half beans, or something like that. But if you're if you're already half and half, it's hard to yeah. To, what I get worried about them. is the cash coppers that just double down and go this year. I'm planting all corn, sure. or I'm planting all beans. All beans. It's, yeah. It's it like, is. Woo. It is hard right now too because I think things are a little bit emotional because we're going across the scales right now, you know, right. and like guys are seeing their slips and seeing the money and you know a semi load of beans versus semi load of corn, like how much money that brings in, you know. It's definitely something that at times I think can be kind of shocking, and you got to step back, give it a week, really think about it before you, you know, I'm going to plant the whole farm into beans next year because semi load of beans made me more money, you know, that kind of stuff. The good part about this year is we've got weather for winter wheat, so that's going to help our rotation. Yep. It's a lot of winter wheat in the ground, which well, and, yeah, and it's was, up a good couple inches. That was the decision nice. we pretty much already had to make. I mean, we're, we're yeah, past we're October past 15th that. now, yep. so um, yesterday. not that you couldn't still plant winter wheat. I mean, last year we were planting later, but it, it's not going to be as good as what we've already got in the ground. So Definitely not that ideal. Des- that decision's already should have been made. Hopefully, hopefully you get your your beans off or your corn silage or whatever you were going to plant your winter wheat into. But um, you know, it's I think a hard part too, Bill, with when you're going to all one crop is then where do you go next for the right, rotation? Right. You've kind of locked yourself into well, I normally do corn, beans, whatever. So you're you're doubling up on something more than likely, either double cropping beans year after year, or you're doing you know corn on corn and potentially losing out on yield there i i think this is an easy one but would you rather go corn on corn or beans on beans corn on corn yeah, yeah. <laughs> i didn't i didn't think there was much, <laughs> there was going to be much hesitation on that i mean i i've seen guys do bean on bean um and sometimes it works but it's just not the best i was looking at some three-year beans yesterday you know third year in a row on beans and it was that's kinda, that's pushing. It's kind of tough looking. Yeah. I wonder I, what the yield. I mean, with corn on corn, you you still got you got to add a little more nitrogen with corn on corn, and you take a little bit of a yield penalty. And I bet you, if you did the math on beans, it's not that much different as far as a. I don't. I don't percentages go. I don't think the beans on beans is the the uh, nutrient. You know, that's not where you're losing or where it's hurting you. It's the it's the disease and yeah. the weeds. I mean that. Yep. A bean, a bean on bean year is white mold and water right. hemp central. White mold biggest. Good news is there, yeah. white mold wasn't that bad this year in general. It came on late. Yeah. Yeah. From what I was seeing. The so. longer day beans definitely, you know, like one a one four was all right, but a two three really had some That's issues good. at the end. I think for us too, Matt, with crop rotation, you know, in dairy central here, it's pretty much set. Your rotation because you've got alfalfa in there, so you just kind of work around that. It's just some of these guys that maybe have extra acres that, okay, we have our hay, we have our corn silage, we have a little bit of grain because we need to feed that grain to the cows, you know, whether it's high moisture or whatever. And then you got a certain percentage, maybe it's 25% or less of your acreage that kind of they play with because... They don't need it for forage. It's just a little bit extra. So that that's where I think the for us the majority might come in to stinking around with a little bit. Well, and, and we've seen it over the last few years too. Is seed orders need to be in earlier and earlier, so guys yeah. kind of have to make that decision now. I mean, not that you can't trade or you know get returns whatever come winter spring, but um, you know this is the time to be kind of thinking about those decisions. Obviously, you don't know what the market's going to do. 
Um, but you can you can kind of get a, a feel for how things went this year and in what direction you want to go. So um, good things to be thinking about. Hardest part as an agronomist, and I hope you guys agree, is with these seed orders is we don't even have a lot of the crop off yet to know what this year is. Right. And then we got to make decisions for next year ready. I uh, I I kind of told told the uh, I was talking with a dealer this week and he said are you ready to put in you know help this guy with his order for next year and I said well we haven't combined yet you know I don't know I I have my yield estimates I've been in the field like I have an idea but I don't know until it goes through the combine what we truly have so it's hard for me to want to say like yes this is a product we're going to bring back next year yeah it could look good and then the yields come back and you're like whoa all right well that was all stock and or. Or, or the other way around. Or the other way around. Yeah, <laughs> look, look really up. ugly. And, you know, and, and some of it, you know, there's that some of that late season agronomics that we don't know until it goes through the combine because we haven't, we're not walking cornfields every week anymore like we were. So, you know, maybe now all of a sudden, you know, tar spot or something and it's having a really hard time standing or the grain isn't drying down right. You know, some of that kind of stuff. So I will say I haven't, you know, the corn I've been walking, I haven't seen a lot of issues with standability yet. It seems like every day is windy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you'll have stock here or there that, that's bent over, but for the most part, I've been pretty happy with standability on the corn. I've only, I've had one variety. That was pretty much it, and it's been kind of consistently falling over everywhere I've had it. So sure. that's, I mean, I'll take that. That's one variety, only a couple acres. Like, that's all right. Most of it's been really nice. All right. So then fertility is another consideration. So... We're pulling samples this time of year. Um, we're in the heat of soil sampling now as crops come off. Sometimes we're pulling them in the springs. So you might have had some from earlier this year. Um, we're putting down manure and fertilizer as crops are coming off. So, you know, as we're thinking, okay, what's that next crop? That's how we we kind of need to plan out our manure too. Is um, putting manure where it's going to do the most good, and whether that's your corn acres, uh, putting it down before a alfalfa seeding. Um, you know, that's those decisions we're kind of making now, doing some VRT stuff this fall. So what are you guys seeing as far as uh, numbers of your guys that are doing fall spreading like potash and that kind of stuff versus spring? Well, the conversation we had last week about sale and ILK, you <laughs> know, obviously a lot of it's going on now. Right. Um, the one thing that I have a conversation with a lot of growers with, you know, regards to manure is if, is planting, yes, we need to plant the manure to get it on the right crop because we don't want it on, we want it on corn, right, for the most right. part because that's going to get the best bang for the buck. But also, like, which fields are better for fall versus spring? Let's get maybe the wetter fields that we know we aren't going to get in the spring. Let's get those applied this fall so that the better fields, if we do have to do spring manure, I realize some farms don't have to do spring manure, but if you have to do spring manure, let's set ourselves up so that their better fields are for next spring to be able to spread that manure. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think corn is is probably your best option there. Um, and we have time this year. You know, you can you can kind of plan that out. Last year it was just kind of, okay, the yeah, field's open, done. let's go. Um, year before that, kind of the same thing. So we have the time. Let's do it right. Let's think it out and get the most bang for our buck, whether it's spreading more potash because we can get more for our money 
or getting that manure on on those corn acres rather than you know putting them on beans where it's not really going to do as much uh, have have as much benefit. So, and then with that comes tillage. So are you working the manure in? Are you working the fertilizer in? Uh, are you going to work it in the spring? So just top spreading it now, or maybe you're not going to work at all. Do a no-till system. And then if you are doing tillage, why? I think that's something you know we just recently talked about and is very important. Why are we tilling? Are we doing it because we're taking out ruts? Or are we doing it just to do tillage? Because I've seen a lot of perfectly nice flat soybean fields getting worked up the last couple of weeks, and it just breaks my heart. <laughs> yeah. I think I think we have been doing some that doesn't look terrible on the surface, but when you, you know, try and run a pentrometer through it, you can tell it, it needs some help. Um, this spring, we had a nice spring, but I still think we rushed a little bit putting stuff in the ground just because we had been burned the last two years. So um, we definitely had some really hard, clumpy stuff, and you could really see compaction. So I think a lot of guys this year wanted to get out and go for that really deep um, kind of shatter tillage and, and, and try and break the cycle that we were in for a couple of years. Sure. I think some of it, like you said, Max, it's we weren't exploding. We weren't exploding the soil surface. It's just getting that that's that underneath just shattering the uh, the subsurface of the soil and a lot of, i've seen a lot of that happen and i think a lot of guys wanted to do it because we actually could do it and do a good job yep and that's that's a pretty valid reason i mean dust behind a chisel plow when is the last time you saw that i mean that's that's a i mean obviously if we can know till we like to but it was really nice to see a chisel plow doing the job it's supposed to and the way it's supposed to and also seeing growers genuinely ask, hey, am I doing this right? Are we being productive? Yeah. Is my chisel plow set up right? That was awesome. I was, I, I've checked more chisel plows this year than I can ever remember. It's right. been really good. But you are right, Matt. If if you have a soybean field that you didn't rut up, that doesn't have compaction, why? why? Yeah. yeah. There's there's plenty of other things to do on the farm. Exactly. A lot, of, a lot more jobs to, to worry about. So, you know, as you're, as you're out there, just you know, prioritize those fields that need the help when you're looking at tillage. And then finally, your cover crop decisions, and with that comes chemical, so weed control. Um, are we planting a cover crop this year? You know, we can still we still have time for that. Uh, pretty much got to be like a rye or a triticale to have your best benefit out of any cover you're going to plant. A lot of the rest of them, you know, anything that's warm season at this point is going to be kind of just throwing money down the tube. So, so not sorghum stangrass, probably. Yeah, probably, no, probably no, not. No, <laughs> no. Nope. Stick no. to your winter winter rise, winter triticale. Uh, Considering all the sorghum that was planted this summer is brown and looks like it's been dead for three weeks, probably not the ideal cover crop at this point. Yeah, last night we had a, a frost again, but you know the even what was that three weeks ago, two weeks ago when we had those, that really cold weather, a lot of that sorghum took a hit. Yeah, then. it dinged it up pretty good. Yeah. I think last night though was the first killing sort of frost where it actually got down to sort of thirty what, for. What's What's funny is there was frost here when I got here this morning. I did not have frost at my house. I didn't oh, either. So it was spotty. Nope. Okay. Nope. Well, I think it was. I think you guys We're are just, just far enough nor- north of uh, County Highway S. <laughs> yeah, that's the. Max is dividing line. <laughs> that's, to, well, uh, that was pretty close. Like I hit like uh, Town yeah. of Freedom Industrial Park, and that's when I started seeing yep. uh, frost on the lawns. Like before that, it was 
So, I mean, it was pretty close to Highway S being the dividing line. I'm sure a uh, certain farm that, that you guys know well, who's kind of down in a in a hole, he probably has had Killing Frost uh, before last night. He says when Seymour hits 36. That's when he, he, gets, gets, a, he gets a Killing Frost. I don't know who you're <laughs> referring to, but I can't wait to hear it. So, so whatever Pete Petoniak says, he minus is like He was here last week <laughs> chopping up some uh, corn samples. Ah. Yes. Well, I actually do. I actually do work with a farm that they are um, in the summer. They're usually five degrees warmer than everywhere else. And when we get to fall, they're five degrees colder. So they had a good kill frost probably a month ago. Yeah. A month. I mean, they their beans a month ago got. Well, Max, this guy we're talking about, he embellishes a lot about his rainfall. But I think on the freezing end of it, he's probably right. Yeah. It's funny to hi- find these little warm and cold cold pockets, you know, you can find them here and there and then you you start talking it's like, man, your your growing season is 2 weeks shorter be- by and you only are a mile away from the next farm that we work with and that's completely different, you know, it's yeah. kind of weird how that works sometimes. So, whether you're putting it in, putting it in now or you have a, your cover crop in place now, what's the termination plan? Are you going to kill it? You know, is it going to die over winter? Did you plant oats or something or barley? where your chances are you're not going to have anything there in the spring. Or are you going to spray it off when it's six inches? Are you going to harvest it for something? You know, Start thinking about that termination plan. And along with that chemical decision, what was your weed control like this year? What, what, what do you need to improve? And Water hemp control? Yeah, water hemp <laughs> control for everybody. Um, Actually, I, I do think there's a lot of fields of corn that we had weeds germinate in july we're sure. all done with our second pass of herbicide and then we go to harvest and we're like where did all this grass come from and it germinated when it wasn't feasible to go back in and spray anymore the corn was head high and we had weeds germinating yep no i i saw the same thing we had a lot of late stuff coming in especially the grasses I, um a lot of a lot of headland areas where corn kind of either stalled out or and that sunlight got in there, and all of a sudden it was just like a, a jungle. And it's like, well, it was perfectly clean two weeks ago. What the right. heck? I, I noticed a, a flush come on when we got really dry, actually, and the leaves were all cupped. So we had sunlight getting down underneath right. that canopy. Yep. And I had a decent, normally, you know, we're like, oh, well, if it's that dry, nothing's going to germinate. Well, weeds <laughs> weeds found a way this year where when we got dry, that we definitely had some extra germination. Yeah, so we had Jurassic Park this year. Life. Nature uh, finds a way. Finds a way. Oh, nature finds a way. <laughs> We we had a water hemp seed con- <laughs> contained in what what is that called the, the amber. amber amber there yeah. you go fossilized water hemp is coming back it's 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 the, it's, the, it's the sap from a velvet leaf that actually contains, <laughs> contains the water the hemp water and hemp. was fo- fossilized it's cooperation nature's cooperation I, I gotta give a shout out to my man velvet leaf he had a big year this year <laughs> velvet leaf was tough. Like I was, we we had a hard time on that some. Leave, I, I didn't. I had some fall seedings that were just full. Oh of yeah. yeah, we I, a couple farms. They just yeah. Like and I, velvet leaf is one of those ones that normally you shake the jug at it and it's it's gone. And it was like hanging tough through a lot of a lot of chemical. I, it was kind of weird how that worked this year. Good old velvet. Leaf. So shut out, shut out, shut out, velvet leaf. <laughs> That right. was my that was my father in law's arch nemesis thirty years ago <laughs> in the eighties. Uh, I think that was everybody's my uh, nemesis for a while. Velvet Leaf was a big deal, and and then we figured it out for the most part. And 
my my grandfather in law. I think that's how you would say it, grandfather in law. Uh, we I think we should have him on once uh, to talk because he's his arch nemesis is pigweed, and every time I see him, it's we have an hour long discussion about pigweed. You know, he's he's a big anti pigweed guy. I like Huge. anti-pigweed guys. I, I hate the guys that compare. He <laughs> like, likes to fight. I, I seriously, I should record him this weekend when he gets on it and send it to you guys. You should. He is like because most guys are like, oh, velvet leaf's so bad. If and they're like, water hemp's just the new velvet leaf, and I'm like, no, it's like it's it's it's, the, it's, it's like it's way worse cousin. The it's thing about so him bad. that is funny is that he doesn't farm. It's all his food plots. So he's got no. 25 acres in food <laughs> plots. They they stop farming probably. Uh, when he was a kid, they stopped farming and whatever, but he fights. So I know it's straight pigweed. You know, he's not fighting Roundup, Roundup resistant water hemp in his food plots, but it's still funny that he, the same weed that keeps me up at night, keeps him up at night, you know, for totally different reasons, totally different reasons, totally different, uh, quantities and management practices. But I'll tell you what he his beans, man. There is no water hemp in them. There's no pigweeds in them. He's on top of it, but he tells you he's like, you can you could pull every day of e- every year, and there's still pigweed out there. Well, welcome to the show. Yep. Yeah, Pig, pigweed is the enemy. All right, so that kind of wraps up that discussion. So, as you're thinking this fall for next year, rotation. What are we going to? What varieties do we need? Fertility. Get those samples pulled. Look at what you need to do with your manure or your fall fertilizer. Tillage, prioritize those fields that need the tillage. Um, Don't just work them to work them. And cover crops and chemical, if you're going to put a cover crop in, have a plan of how you're going to get rid of it in the spring. And have a plan for any of those escapes you had this year if you need to change your chemical program. So now we're going to move into our spotlight. And this week we're looking at we've we've used drones for a while for scouting and some other things, and now it's becoming popular in crop insurance. What so. other things are you using it for, Matt? Oh, pictures for farmers <laughs> yeah, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So drone drones are slashing crop insurance adjuster time, boosting their confidence in their decisions. So especially following the Duraco event in Ooh. Iowa and Illinois, the teams. How many times have we talked about the Duraco? The Duraco a lot. A lot. <laughs> And it hasn't even affected us. No. So I just I feel bad for them. It that, has? Right. What are you talking about? Prices went up right yeah. after. <laughs> it just posi- positively affected the people in our Minnesota area. Minnesota benefited greatly from yeah. Iowa's misfortune. Uh, so the teams at RCIS in Zurich assembled a cadre of 19 people to go to address damage claims. In a six-day period, they covered 52,000 acres. Wow. So what enabled the speed and effectiveness of them is drones. So 42 crop adjusters at RCIS are also drone pilots and regularly assess claims using aerial imagery they fly themselves. And they're hoping to add another 30 who use drones. Um, On certain claims, they saw a time saving of up to 66%. So instead of an hour, it takes you 20 minutes to cover a field. It's pretty pretty typical. I mean, especially in the, the Duraco situation... It's flat. You're getting full compensation. What percentage of the field is flat? I mean, that's basically what it came down to, right? At this point, yep. so get up there, get a bird's eye view. And as far as having a guy walk across flat corn, which 
that would be a very bad day Ooh. having to walk across. That How stuff. could you ever be accurate? Right. That is the hardest thing when you're walking those storm damaged fields is, you know, you walk into one place that's completely flat and then you walk through some stuff that's half over and then. It's like trying to assess a dead alfalfa field when it's not completely oh, dead. Geez. Right. Yeah, so like what a, year did we have that tornado go through? 12? No, no, it was after 12. It was, I was like thinking, 14. Yeah, like 14, 14. Or 15. And that we took. Remember, Matt, we took the drone up to find, like, calf hutches and... Yep, and the roof of the neighbor's shed. Yeah, that just so that they didn't find it with the combine later and stuff. I don't think... I don't... I think that summer, I don't think we scouted, the, like, the next two days. I think we were just doing, like, Well, yeah, there was storm. No power for... We were just doing, like, storm. Well, you know, we were going from farm to farm and trying to help them what little we... I mean, it wasn't... It wasn't really about, like, hey... Our, how how's the corn Get looking? Out there and yeah. Spray your corn. Yeah, yeah it was kind of like, hmm. Let's find your house. Yeah. <laughs> of course, it was August. Yeah, yeah, we're we were past. I mean, yeah, we were past a lot of it. But I will say that with drones, you know, just my experience with drones and scouting, it it isn't. It does save you time, you know, doing the drone flying. The time is in the back end when you're processing all those photos yep. where you're not – I mean, that's a chore. Well, and that I think the difference between 2014 when we were using a drone versus now, in 2014, our drone, you had to land the drone, take the card out, and then look, look at the pictures. Yeah. Now we can, yeah. can, we can in it. real time, look at the image while we're flying. And so you can have that assessment made. And when you're processing, you're just saying, okay, here's the picture – and maybe you're taking it and drawing out an area just to try to confirm that estimation you've already got in your head. Yeah. So I think that's the technology has just come so much further in the last few years to make that effective. It's like a video game. Yep. Now we'll move into our egg history minute. The lovely banjo. So today we're going to talk about the 1862 establishment of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. On May 15th, 1862, Abraham Lincoln established the Independent Department of Agriculture to be headed by a commissioner without cabinet status. So there was no secretary at that time, just a commissioner. And the agriculturist Isaac Newton was appointed to be the first such commissioner. So not sir? Not sir? Not sir Isaac Newton, no. Just a different Sir, Bi- Sir Billy Joel. <laughs> Lincoln called it the People's Department. The USDA did not gain cabinet status until 1889, so about 27 years later, when President Grover Cleveland signed a bill elevating the USDA to cabinet level. So that's when we would have had our first Secretary of Agriculture. So there cool. you go. What a name. Grover Cleveland. <laughs> Grover Cleveland. Yep. What a name. We knew how to elect them. Grover <laughs> Cleveland. My favorite is still William Henry Harrison. He was president for uh, less than a month. Whoa. He died during uh, within 13 days of his inauguration speech because he gave a three-hour inauguration speech in cold weather and got pneumonia and died. Ouch. So his, his, his running mate inaugur- was extremely happy. Yeah. <laughs> like, who was? Do you remember who his, his running mate was? I don't offhand. I, I honestly... I should, but. When you... I thought William Henry Harrison, I honestly would not know that that's a U.S. president. Like, well, I mean, he was only president for 13 days, so that makes sense. But, like, I would not. John Tyler. That, that. That, see, that I would know. <laughs> Tyler? Yep. So his inauguration speech did him in. Sorry, it was just over a month. On his 32nd day, wow. became the first to die in office, mm-hmm. serving the shortest tenure in U.S. presidential history. But he was president. Think of how many people were there to watch it, too, like. 
uh, 200 people. Or, you know, it wasn't like he's getting Twitter <laughs> hits right. on that or something no. to make this speech. <laughs> We're no. live streaming it on Amazon Prime. Yeah. I mean, you think about January and, I mean, January for us especially is cold. Um, but it was just a particularly cold January in Washington probably, at that time. Probably and, had uh, wet socks. That's what did it. That oh. could be. Boom. There was no no taking him to the hospital for for medicines at that point. So my my grandma was actually asking about that yesterday. I talked to her and she said, "Were you working outside today?" And I said, "I was." She said, "Well, you better had a jacket and hat and gloves on. I don't want you getting sick." Yeah. I was. It was forty five degrees yesterday. Like wasn't. I, I love that that's still around. Because as an adult, you learn, yeah, wearing a hat doesn't actually stop you from getting sick. I mean, obviously, it makes you potentially weaker from being cold. I I appreciate the concern. Yes, I do. (laughs) But I don't think that... Well, and that was the other thing. She goes, you know, there's a virus going around. And I was like, I don't think wearing a hat was going to protect me from the coronavirus. <laughs> In the middle of a garden. Well, only if you wore it. Are you wearing over it over your, your face? Over your face. Yeah. Yeah. Is that yeah, what you cut did, holes for She eyes, did not like ask a, if I had a face mask like on. A ski she asked mask if I had hat gloves. Like, Do ski masks count as masks? Uh, your mouth is in a ski mask, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. The Depends. Typical, typical yeah, you're right. the mouth the hole. eye hole and the mouth hole. Unless you wear it wrong. And then you've got like. Max, we're inventing that for this winter. Man. One giant Just eye hole. A ski mask without a mouth hole? Yes. They, they have so, that. <laughs> it's the one they have those. We still wear those snowmobiling. Just the oh yeah, that yeah, just has the goggle the, holes. The hole. There's a term for that. I can't remember. Okay. What they're, they're I used to have. But, yeah. I used to have a couple like sweet ones when I was a kid. I had one that was like all brown and had like fur and like bear ears on the top. So all those was sticking out was your eyes, but you had fur on it. So you look like a bear. Had a mask with the fur. <laughs> yeah. Bam. <laughs> and then I had one that was like a werewolf, like paint up, but all you got was your eyes, like no mouth hole, no nose hole. And I used to put it on and scare my little brother. Like he was. <laughs> I, he would recognize me. I would put it on in front of him, and then just absolute terror. Nice, <laughs> good mix, bad mix. And we would, like, on dude, and it was like that. You would pull it up and show like half your face. You'd be like, "Oh, cool, sick, you're back." Yeah, da da Worst game of peekaboo ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My brother to this day still won't wear a face mask. You know, and just there, that's why you freaked him out. He's he's been traumatized for life. <laughs> Some people traumatized by Darth Vader. Dude, if you we talked brother, we talked about it like Max. two weeks ago. If you ask my brother, he will still tell you how terrifying that yeah, was. was. <laughs> like he, he's, yeah, that was a big, it was a big, big, big thing in his life growing up. All right, Todd, tell us about NAICC. Yeah, please, if you like what you're hearing, go to naicc.org, and there you can find a crap consultant in your area. Please tell a friend about TTR Tilt Talk Radio. Uh, we're a year in. If you want us to keep going, we just need more subscribers. So um, tell a farmer friend about it. Uh, talk to talk to him about what a podcast is. Are we like Tinkerbell? They need to clap to keep us alive? I think so. <laughs> or like Santa Claus. You want us to still keep believe. going? Still believe. believe. Just believe. You, you only receive if you believe. You only receive more podcasts if, if you, you believe, believe that yeah. we're good. <laughs> And Matt, we're, I'm okay with just believe. Yeah, just believe, you don't believe we're good. Just, no. believe. just believe and make other people. We believe. know we're not good. Just thanks for listening to our average podcast. We <laughs> we're not here to make friends. We're here to be informative. Ho- hopefully, the half a can of seltzer is helping this episode. <laughs> we may need to do this every week. Every week, we save 500 gallons of water. Instead of drunk history, we should change our podcast to drunk agriculture. Nice. Drunk egg. All right, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. And remember to help your friends listen to our podcast. So now let's do some cool beans. That's corny. So cool beans. Cool Cool beans. Cool wheat.
Cool wheat. No, cool, cool. beans. Cool, I be- cool beans? I, I believe the term is sweet wheat and cool beans. Sweet wheat. All right. S- sweet wheat. All right. So, this week's cool sweet beans. Sweet wheat. Sweet. Wheat soars to a five-year high. Corn hits a 14-month high. Ooh. So, markets are Bam! improving slowly but surely. And uh, Most active wheat contract added 21.5 cents to 618 Per bushel, highest since December 29th, 2014. That's the Chicago price, right? And that is, yes, Chicago Board of Trade price. Chicago, Chicago Board of Trade corn ended six and one quarter cents higher at 403 $4 corn. Ooh. It's highest since August 12th, 2019, so that one not quite as long of a stretch. I'm actually surprised it was that high. I guess I forgot it was that high of a year ago already. But somebody needed some corn, so they just rallied the price, right? Yep. So yeah, so good, good things. Hopefully that trend continues, and we kind of stabilize those markets. Is that like when the that one USDA report came out last summer after they they started walking stuff that had water standing in it, and they're like, mm. oh, maybe things aren't so good. Because <laughs> didn't they hold like really good until like August, and they're like. Mm. Yeah, then they figured out what the rest of us already knew that mm. yeah, it was pretty good. Things mm. weren't uh, maybe not. Everybody but the derecho. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. All right, and our that's corny for this week. Uh, Pilgrim's Pride to pay a hundred and ten point five million dollar fine in a U.S. price fixing investigation. Ooh. Uh, so I haven't seen much on the the beef investigation. Initially, they had found no fault, but at least they're they are finding that price fixing is a thing. And it has been happening during the pandemic here. So, uh, so yeah, Pilgrim's Pride Corp is going to pay the $110.5 million as part of a plea agreement with the Justice Department, which is investigating price fixing in broiler chickens. Can Can you explain price fixing to the... Uh, I understand what it means. Can you explain <laughs> sure it to the people who might not understand? <laughs> but I understand what it means. <laughs> sure. So it's when you take the price and you fix it. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that basically it's where the uh, companies that are selling the chicken to the market are making the money, making it so they make money, but the farmers aren't necessarily seeing that on the on the back end. So the middlemen are taking taking the profit. Oh, so what we've known has been happening for years, right? Because we're selling a gallon of milk for like a penny, and then they're selling it in the store for four fifty. Got it? Yep. Yeah. So it's it's a thing that yeah has been around. I figured it had something to do with farmers getting screwed over. I was pretty sure that's where this was going. <laughs> yep. But I didn't understand exactly. Like, I, I understand, like, how, like, gas stations can't price gouge. Like, I get that. I, this seems like it's kind of the same thing. Like, yeah, they're basically gouging the front end the beef, and then stiff in the back end. Beef market was going through a lot of this. They had an investigation, and that, from what I remember reading, they never did end up finding anybody. But, yeah. This beef. is what the article says. According to the Justice Department, the price-fixing conspiracy conspiracy operated from at least 2012 until at least early ni- 2019 so it, you know it was that's a long like time. you said if yeah. pre-pandemic obviously stuff too that right. was going on I know, I know we don't have a lot of it in this area but i've seen like three documentaries now on poultry farming like and it's it's kind of a racket what they got figured out there it's it's pretty it's you're pretty you know set where you have to sell to, and they set the price, and you kind of are just stuck with it. You know, there's not like we think it's hard in dairy sometimes because the price is set for us. Like it's wor- it's worse in in other markets. You know. Oh yeah. 
So. If you're a Tyson grower, you are a Tyson grower. Yep. I mean, you have to. I mean, you have to build your barns to their standards, feed to their standards, all that stuff. Yep. I mean, there yep. you have no leeway, and it doesn't matter what it costs you. You're getting paid the same. Yep. Well, even in dairy, when you're selling to a um, a brokerage, that's a lot of times they come through and inspect. Yep, that's true. And they say, hey, you know, because uh, I remember one guy, one local guy, was in a barn, and they couldn't apparently couldn't find anything else. So he said, it smells like ammonia in here. You got to put down more lime. So, because yeah, like a hundred cows peeing <laughs> isn't going to smell like ammonia, no matter how much lime you put down. Roses, but, man, whatever. roses. <laughs> Teach your own. Uh, but so now <laughs> let's move into. You applied what? What did you do? Uh, I can't give you any hints on this one because it's uh, would give it away. Give it away, give it away now. So we have four products here. One of these three things is not like the other. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> the biscuit. <laughs> We've got Re- Realm Q, Lexar Easy, Romulum Q, and Callisto Extra are the products. that uh, They're all mixes, but it's one particular ingredient. I'll give you that much that they all share. I, I think I got it. Okay, what do, you, what do you think, Bill? Which one's the odd one out? I think Romulan Q. I'm going Romulan Q. I was gonna go. I was gonna go Romulan because I don't know what's in it. That's the one I don't know for sure. So I'm gonna say that's the odd one out. All right, you guys are all correct. I think the mesotrione is the yep. the one that brings them all together. Cause yep, they all have mesotrium or Callisto in them. And yeah, Romulum Q is the odd one out. I just made that one up. It's okay, I <laughs> added that. Would, that would explain why I didn't have any idea what was in it. Because there's it could Realm Q. Be. There's Realm Q, Revelin, Revelin Q, Q yeah. and so I just another R word and a Q. I don't so. get why the Q means safe. Like, what is what part of that? Do you know, Bill? Quantifiable. Uh, yeah, idea. no, because like, oh, sa- listen, it's safe for post application. I'm still trying to understand why Q means Chrome. All right, True. I'm still go. very confused by that. It's not C. <laughs> yes, yeah, why it's Q R O M. And it's is it's yeah, it's a Q. There's no U after it. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, man, WTF? Marketing is getting out of control. I saw they they've got Google Chrome, so they couldn't use that. Oh, so they yeah. had to spell Chrome Copy their right. own way. Yep. Yeah, Q Rome, Q Rome, yeah, Q Rome. Q Jim Rome. Is that Jim Rome? I was gonna say Jim Rome just bought a huge <laughs> share in pot. <laughs> so if we got some water hemp in our corn next year, Realm Q, Lexar Easy, Callisto Extra. Yep, all good options. Not Romul, Rom- not Romulan, Romulan. Nope, that is not a real thing. At least I, well, I, I didn't Google it, but I'm pretty sure it's not. It's not so. a herbicide. Maybe it should be. Romulus was it uh, was it Greek mythology? Yeah, right? I, Romulus yeah, and Remus. I think so. So all right. Well that'll do it for today. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Today we talked about cropping full circle, fifty two episodes of our podcast, full year. So now it's time to think about next year and think about everything involved there. So whether it's rotation, fertility, tillage, or cover crops and chemical. In our spotlight we looked at drone use and insurance adjusting. Egg History Minute, we had the establishment of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Cool beans, that's corny. We talked about prices hitting highs recently. And Pilgrim Pride paying in a price-fixing investigation. And you applied what? We had some Callisto mixes or some Mesotrione mixes. So thanks for listening. And as always, happy farming. Happy farming.